You're listening to the Win More Podcast with John Zaldonis. In this episode, Kat Robinson of Miroma Project Factory offers insights into technology-inspired behavioral changes through cognitive behavior therapy techniques, human-centered design, and gamification. Podcast. My name is John Zaldonis, and listeners, it's been a second since last we spoke. Apologies for our mini little hiatus, season long break, whatever you want to call it, but the important thing is we are back. And joining me today is a very special new friend of the podcast. It is Kat Robinson of Maroma Project Factory. Kat, welcome to the show. Morning or afternoon for you. How are you? <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm doing great. This is we've done an international podcast before, but I don't believe we've gone uh, the other way. We, we've we've gone uh, Eastern and uh, talked with folks uh, in the UK, I believe once in France. Uh, but this is a new one. Why, why, don't, why don't you tell me where you're calling in from today, Kat? I'm calling in from Sydney, Australia. So we are yeah. at the very, very bottom of the world, but we're very there excited we to be here. Yeah, so uh, for you, it's our, for me, it's Star Wars Day. It's it's still May the Fourth for you. It's Cinco de Mayo. So happy Cinco it de is. Mayo! Both yeah. great days. I agree. Yeah, I, I saw the new Obi Wan trailer today, and I uh, got a little excited. Not gonna lie, I'm looking forward to that at the end of the month. So nice. yeah, um, you know, we could talk about all that stuff, and it'd be a great episode, I am sure. But the reason that we have Cat on today, listeners, is a little bit different. Um, some of our longtime listeners will probably recognize today's episode as something of, you know, a blend, right? My hope is we're going to get into some conversations that we've had with other guests, but I'm sure that we'll also dive into some new ground as well as it comes up. So yeah, with all that in mind, Kat, you ready to uh, begin the questions? Let's go. <laughs> awesome. So I tend to kick off each episode of the podcast when we have new friends on with a similar question, so I will stick with tradition here. Can you tell our listeners, just give us a little background about Maroma Project Factory. Like, what do you tell folks about the company if you're just introduced to somebody new at like a holiday party or something? Uh, <laughs> if I'm at a hol holiday party, I say that I, I heard a very talented bunch of cats. But nice. um, it, it's not that's not very technically informative, is it, for anyone who's actually <laughs> in the industry? No, so Mirama Project Factory, we have been around for about 14 years. So I, I'm very lucky to lead um, an extraordinary bunch of full stack developers and we specialize in custom software. Um, mm -hmm. We are a global agency. So we work across um, the, the wide, wonderful world, even though nice. we're based in Australia. Um, we were female founded and we're very heavily female led, um, even though that's quite rare in the tech industry, which is pretty great. Um, but we specialize in innovative digital experiences. So we really work on the intersection of engagement, um, behavior change and gamification, ultimately to drive positive outcomes for the businesses we work with. So that's the more formal answer. But herding <laughs> cats is also kind of groovy. 
Yeah. So like when you say herding cats, why, why is that? Is it just because it's like it's brand new and you've got like a bunch of moving pieces or just like, no, you know, it's actually it's actually work? a terrible description because they are a well organized <laughs> and wonderful team. I just like the, to, you know, play up on it. We've got a really wonderful, diverse group of people who work for us. There's about 37 of us. Um, and we tend to have uh, kind of like these beautiful blended roles where people will be technical producers, but also a behavioral change expert or we have a producer who is also a financial trader. So we tend to have these wonderful um, expertise in the businesses that bring together and, and enrich their roles. I think that's yeah. probably why I call them cats. No, I mean, that's, it's actually like, you know, it's, it's, it, he's a cool cat. You can, you, you might even say about somebody or she is. Um, and it, it, that's like, you know, something that I found is really important. It's something that, you know, back in the day, I haven't done this in forever, but back, back in the day, I used to like, you know, have a little bit more of a hand in like, finding people new people and like looking at resumes and stuff mm -hmm. like that and just having that like kind of broad grounding uh even even if it's like not completely germane to like you know coding or something like that i think you're right in that like having that those other kinds of formal interests can help inform us and just make sure that like you know we're, we're grabbing the best people the people who are most well-rounded the people who tend to think uh, about what it is that they're doing and, you know, in, kind of interrogate the why. And once you've done that, I feel like you're looking at somebody who certainly is more likely to be a, a, an expert or a valued member of a team. A hundred percent. Look, we specialize in human-centered design. So having yeah. a human-centered approach, like a very empathetic approach to our consumers and then also to our design and development really is kind of what we consider part of our secret sauce. It really brings nice. about immersive, groundbreaking digital products. But that also means that you have to apply some different skills to it, whether it's data analysis or we have someone who writes a lot of scripts. So we have a lot of storytelling in our products. All of those kind of well-rounded skills and hobbies that people bring, we encourage them to bring to the table because our interns have come up with great ideas and so have our, you know, our technical lead. Yeah. Uh, look, everything from data can inform our decisions to sitting and watching the people using the products. So I think it's really important for us and as well just to not do the cookie cutter approach. I think there's too many businesses in the world. I'm going off our topic now, but there's certainly <laughs> too many businesses in our space that hire, they want someone who looks exactly like the last person they hired. Yeah. And I think we kind of need to break out of that mold. I agree with you. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned something a couple seconds ago that I definitely want to dive deeper into mm -hmm. on the podcast today, which is you use the term behavioral changes. And I know that that is in many ways loaded. So I wanted to kind of unpack that a little bit if we could. Um, depending on which field uh, you may come from, the term behavioral changes may mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So mm -hmm. when you use that and when you think about behavioral changes, how exactly are you applying that term uh, today? Mm -hmm. We have um, several behavioral change specialists within our group and we use light cognitive behavior therapy techniques and what we call the, well, we didn't name it, but we use what's called the EAST framework, which is easy, attractive, social, and timely. Um, mm. That framework for behavior change is often applied to our products. We work uh, quite extensively in the health, well-being, and fitness space and using those attributes and those that framework to um, design our interventions is is what what we consider behavior change. 
Um, yeah. A really great kind of example to understand it is you, you will see it a lot used within the um, fitness industry. So Peloton is a great example. So they've created a, um, a very unique click that you share, ride, stream, support, communicate. That is making it easy, attractive, social, and very timely, which mm-hmm. then encourages you, you to participate with their product. Um, yeah. We have a product called the Tammy Hembrow, Hem, Hembrow Fitness Application, and they use a lot of community engagement with high win leaderboards, which is more on the gamification side. But, you know, a news first, closed community connection with Tammy herself and public recognition to make significant changes to drive people during time box challenges. All yeah. of those little bits and pieces wrapped together is what we call behavior change. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely effective. I mean, you think about like, as you say, with like Peloton, that's certainly one example. I don't recall the name of the app off the top of my head, but I know a friend of mine uses it uh, because I'm in New York and like, I'll have some, I'll see one of my friends, he will do a run and then Mm -hmm. he'll post his route that he went and he'll be like, so here's, here's my route. And like, I did a, a lap of Prospect Park in Brooklyn. And then I went up to you know, uh, Williamsburg or something like that. And like, all of a sudden this person's ran, you know, five, 10, 15, like sometimes even like this, this guy's like almost a marathon runner. Uh, but he, he's run a ton of miles. And then even like without fitness apps, you know, like, it's so funny. You, you know what I was thinking of when you were thinking of mm-hmm. that was also just Wordle, you know, the New York yeah, times. Absolutely. Like, that's a perfect example of like, like nobody is forcing you to tweet your little, you know, gray, uh, yellow and green your boxes. tiny little squares, but, yeah. Yeah, everybody's doing it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's great. It, it's kind of because you're doing two things there. One, you're competing against yourself, which is the yep. best competition you can possibly have. But in the effort and sharing of his run or in that wordle, you are then also inspired with help the healthy competition. So there's totally. some really, uh, those are the things that we've put it. I mean, we have gone all the way to doing true CBT technology products, which is, mm-hmm. you know, built for hospitals and therapists. But that yeah. is probably the real, you know, pointy end of it. The the other kind of space that we play in is more we'll have um, entertainment brands or fitness brands or health brands around meditation and mindfulness or even we've made a really beautiful product which was encouraging young women to get into STEM and looking mm. at what's going to drive them and what a consumer needs and how they're going to interact with a product to create a frictionless kind of really engaging space that compels them to participate that's where we start to apply that ease framework and bring it into play in terms of that that the the word you just use compelling like what are some of the most common barriers that you see when you're trying to influence a behavioral change but like is it just like inertia because you know again like you and i were talking about this i think right before we uh started Mm -hmm. uh recording today which is that you know like one of the things that I try like the Dickens to in the course of my work is to convince people that, you know, using Winmo is maybe not something that you've done in the past. It's certainly Mm -hmm. not part of your routine, but it is still insanely valuable and something that you should take the time to invest in. So like when we're talking about influencing behavioral changes, like what are some of the biggest hurdles that you see uh, when trying to accomplish these things? Oh my goodness, I could do this all day. Um, <laughs> I, I love pulling apart, um, which is my part of my job. My, yeah. my kind of specialism is like architecture and commercial application of products. But for, for me, like getting a product, I, I mean, look, the really easy one is a frictionless design. Um, mm. 
frictionless, impactful experiences, everyone is trying to achieve that um, goal and consumers through COVID became even more demanding in that expectation and their needs. Um, People want to be able to, and look, we're all multi-screeners now, so people want to be able to use one hand to buy their sister's birthday present, do their one-click Apple Pay, and it gets shipped off without them having to fill in forms. That expectation takes additional time when you're building a product. I mean, that's one of the sort of first easiest things that people can look at. When someone lands on your website or your application, is it actually going to deliver what they expect? I mean, we have a huge amount of people who are spending oodles of um, spend on paid media, but when they land on their website, I can't find it, I can't book it, I can't purchase Mm -hmm. it, you don't have my payment method, and suddenly all of that paid media spend is completely wasted so you can really improve your transaction by improving the experience that people get to yeah that first impression the first impression is so important yeah there's look there's a whole bunch of things though personalization is one um Mm. people want products to be able to solve their solutions for them um the consumer experience is really important another one is really looking at the audience so we approaching a product with an empathetic view and only full immersion in the audience can really deliver a product that understands their motivation and needs. Um, Working with an audience of say over 60 years of age, their uh, requirements are completely different and we're never going to have parity and equality on a technical product with varying degrees of technical literacy if we don't take into account their, say, visual or technical accessibility requirements. For them, frictionless and personalization is not really important. But, I mean, reading the website's pretty big on their their list. And I think kind of we forget sometimes to think, who are the people who are using this and what do they actually consider important? Yeah. Knowing your audience is always going to be like just, you know, obviously it seems, I I think you're right in that, you know, I think we can get lost in our own preconceptions because uh, mm-hmm. what we think uh, we are gearing something towards may in fact be correct, but it also may in fact not like the, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like the, the, this, this podcast is a perfect example where like I'll have uh, an episode and I'll see that a certain topic did really good numbers. And I was just like, really? I didn't think that was like particularly like, you know, not mm-hmm. that I thought it was a bad episode, but like I didn't cer- certainly think that this was going to be the thing that drove a lot of engagement, but it did. So it's like having that knowledge and also having the humility of knowing that you don't know everything uh, probably helps, you know, inform us when we are, you know, looking at uh, at these kinds of behavioral changes. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the yeah. amount of times that I go into a business and start with a preconceived idea of what we're going to build and walk out and I'm like, well, that was wrong. Yep. Uh, I mean, we had a, a really wonderful experience where we built a product for St. Vincent's Hospital for mm-hmm. people who were using methamphetamine and had a little bit too much of it in their life. And my approach was much like our other health products. Okay, this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to stop. And once actually talking to therapists and people in the space, they're like, you need to change your mindset. We're not trying to stop them from doing anything. We're trying to give them information so they can make responsible decisions on their own in their own life. And suddenly that completely changed the way I was approaching the product. Mm-hmm. Um, I've sat with young women when we were trying to build out that product to encourage them in STEM and they hated the design. Like, unanimously and like absolutely they were like this is terrible like it's a 50 year old design this and I was like okay I'm not that old but cool I'll take it on board and we had to completely throw it out and start again because it didn't resonate with them 
And making that kind of connection with a product and dropping what you think is right will make such a better product for them. And if you have an interactive, engaging product, I mean, you're, you're halfway there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that... If, if I just, if I had a dollar for every time, I wish like, you know, just like a report that I did, like, you know, I, I, I make, I make uh, jokes about it. Like I say on parts of Windmill, there should be like solitaire fireworks. If you do it something correctly, just like, yay, like, there you go. Just having that kind of positive reinforcement is huge. And See, you know, that's another little behavior change, like technique yeah. you've got there. It's like when you do so many, uh, like you do enough tasks on Asana and you get, you get your unicorn jumping across the screen. There is like yeah. some immense satisfaction in that. Yeah, our producer Joe is uh, on our development team. So Joe, there we go. Solitaire fireworks, please. Um, one other thing I also wanted to uh, really kind of touch on here is, do you see any potential pitfalls associated with uh, trying to influence these behavioral changes? Like, do we ever get into like ethically questionable grounds in terms of trying to kind of steer somebody's behavior or is this cut and dry relatively? Absolutely. Um, we have a tech for good proposition in our business, which means mm. that we ultimately need to leave the community we work with in a better place than where we found it. Um, yeah. Having an outcome for a business can be positive for community, um, revenue, people, um, literacy. It doesn't have to be a revenue outcome associated with it. I think there is a really fine line, and I saw a great quote yesterday around um Create, having creating revenue within a pandemic is okay. Creating revenue off a pandemic is questionable. And mm. I think there's a really fine line about how we work with products. And we always kind of put it through the lens of, is this ethically, is this sound? Is this supporting the community? Does it resonate with our team and, and what our values are? And are we driving people to do the right thing? People ultimately have free will and choice. And there's a great debate in many books written about behavioral change and using it for good. But then when you kind of go down the rabbit hole and you need to be conscious and aware of using people's data and informing them of what you're doing as you go along so that they have choice in that. When you see those terrible examples of, you know, politicians using data against people to drive, you know, that's kind of where my mind was That's where it's, that's definitely not where you want to be. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't ever want to, well, one would hope anyway, you would never want to get into a position where you're using this kind of stuff to, you know, mobilize groups against disadvantaged communities or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm glad, I'm certainly glad to see that that's a consideration for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing that's a big part of this that you mentioned also is the, it's such a buzzword. So forgive me, it's gamification. Um, and you know, it's something that I think a lot of our listeners can relate to. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I would suppose that because it certainly my ears pricked up because I have tried to introduce aspects of gamification into Inmo. I already talked about my solitaire fireworks, mm-hmm. which I need. Um, but like also just being able to like utilize, you know, either dashboards or scoreboards. We do have on Winmo an ability for each and every person to go in and see how that their usage stacks up against the rest of the team. And uh oh, I'm not logging in as much as Joe over there, so maybe I should uh, up up my game. Mm-hmm. So that's you know something that we're trying to incorporate into the product whenever we can. My question for you, is there a specific approach to implementing gamification that has worked for you in the past? Like, are there certain just kind of go-to strategies that you've found over time consistently work better than others? 
Yeah, delicately. <laughs> we, we, we often get people coming to us and go, okay, I want badges and I want a leaderboard. And I'm like, why? A 70-year-old, yeah. I'm not sure if they're going to like dig that. Yeah, <laughs> so right? delicately is the answer. We got into gamification in, in all honesty accidentally. Um, we about eight years ago, the Australian government asked us to create a product called My Quit Buddy, which was, can you make an app that will make people quit smoking? And mm. we were like, um, we don't know, <laughs> was the answer. <laughs> and they said, and I was like, well, what? what's the brief? And they said, just make it effective. That genuinely was the brief they gave us, which Fair is enough. possibly the most exciting brief a client could give you, yeah. but also fairly daunting because there's no parameters. That product has actually been going for about, 10 years now and has been um, clinically proven to be the most effective way to quit smoking without chemical intervention. Um, hmm. it, live, it, it just continues to live a million years, a wow. million lives. Now see another cat. <laughs> but we actually, to approach that product, and we're, uh, many of us are actually original gamers um, and we make games in our own time. Um, we still make games for our clients. We do a lot of small micro games in our products. Mm. And so what we did is we got in a boardroom and we took every type of game concept that we could think of. So level design, character design, um, when you lose a life and die in a game. And then we tried to jam it into an app around quitting smoking. Awesome. When we did it, we did not know if it was going to work, but we actually worked out and people started to use the product and then people started to get really passionate about it and screenshot things and share it. And we didn't actually put social sharing in the product at this point, mm -hmm. because when we looked at the audience, quitting smoking, you quit around 14 times before you're successful. So right. it's a pretty demoralizing kind of process to go to as something to continue to fail at and come back. And one of the tricks that we put in it was, well, when you die in a game, you don't lose. You just right. get to go back again, right? So we yeah. had to think of all of these edge cases of every time you died and lost at this game, how do we encourage you to go back and give it another round? So mm -hmm. we had like slip up tests and failure rates and we put everything in there from, you know, scratchies and you see your own images and goal setting and it uses the your own sound on your phone and you learn about the health of your body and how much money you've saved. Mm. And it was just wildly successful. And that really was kind of our first foray into gamified systems. And then we realized that there was actually a professional term for it called gamification. And we try and bring it to most of the products we do. Yeah. Um, there are a myriad of different goals and rules and feedbacks and there's a sense of progression that you can put into a product, which, you know, high scores, leaderboards, extra plays, there's everything that you can put into a product. But I will say the the nuances and the way you bring them about are, are, are need to be approached really sensitively. Yeah. Just trying to smack a badge on something when it doesn't relate to your audience or what they want is not going to help you. Um, yeah. it, I don't think it's a trend anymore. I do think it's trendy to try and say that you can use it, but it really does require a little bit of expertise and experience. Is yeah. there a, is there something I like whip out of my pocket? Um, I would say no, but one of the, the more interesting facts of gamification that we use on a product that I'm always astounded that it works as well as it does is closed community conversation. Um, we have them mm. in several of our products. So the Temi Hambau product, the My Quit Buddy product, 
um, what's another one? There's a couple of in the, them in there. And mm-hmm. what we find is we get these natural advocates and really passionate users of the product who end up encouraging and oh, Headspace has a great one. Um, mm. Monday Morning has one. Um, heaps of them do. But we find that there are natural advocates who come on the product, facilitate conversation and encourage other users. And to me, I think that's always, it's always, it always delights me because it means that the community is taking control of their own space. That's awesome. I think that's probably one of the, the nicest things I like to see. Yeah. The, the funny thing you asked about seeing Winmo, one of the, every <laughs> year our team jumps onto Winmo and Slack and sees how many, it, we, it, they create their own leaderboard of how many people have logged in and who won. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> they're obsessed with it. No, it's crazy. Like it, it's so it's so funny. Like what you mentioned earlier about just like literally making it as close to a game as possible. Like we use gamification, we can use it quite literally. Um, and it's one of the things that I thought back to as you were describing that was uh, we uh, last year we went to Ad Week um, in, last October. It was my first conference since pandemic. Awesome. We had a recap episode of it. That was a lot of fun. But anyway, one of the panels that we were on. Uh, concerns kind of similar to what we're talking about here, uh, but it was a little bit more in terms of in-game advertising we were talking about. And mm-hmm. one of the observations one of the panelists made kind of blew my mind, but is you know proven to be more and more true as I've you know thought about it since then, which is he remarked that you know that for a lot of people, if they buy in to a game online, they will spend more time on their avatar's appearance, on their avatar's outfits, on their avatars, whatever, mm-hmm. than they do their actual person, or their, their, their actual person. Like, yeah. so, and we're seeing that. So, like, if you can get that buy-in and, like, have that character, if you will, be a compelling, you know, storyteller or whatever the case may be, um, that's, a, that's a big hook right there. Yeah, it's kind of a nice foray into the conversation about the future of, you know, tech in the metaverse and where everyone's going. I had a, yeah. a, a great conversation with my niece, who's like eight, about two <laughs> weeks ago. And she was like thrilled because she knows that I work in games. And she was like, mm. you know, how, how can I code something? And I sat on the Doja Cat website with her and, you know, we coded some Python and changed the color of her fingernails and stuff, which is super cool for like an eight-year-old. That is um, and then she was telling me about, you know, that she'd bought herself a skin. And her face was, she was so thrilled, like beyond yeah. delighted about this concept. And her, her mom, my sister, is sitting there rolling her eyes and she's like, I spent $17 on a new skin and $17 to an eight year old is like a year's worth of saving of like mowing the lawn. But she was like beyond delighted. And I was like, which skin did you get? And she was like, Harlequin. She was like (laughs) delighted with this process. And it's quite funny. People always ask like, what is the matter? How am I supposed to work with it? What's going to happen? And all these things are changing. Our agency built one of the first ever experiences of Meta millions of years ago um we built like the telstra island Uh, and people Mm. forget that a lot of these sort of concepts and technologies have been around but we're just using them in different ways and we're certainly getting approached more and more for people to be almost like a meta consultant for their businesses while they work out how and you know when to bring it in and why should we use ar and does this align with our marketing because suddenly it makes everything feel like it's up for question yeah but that concept i love that almost the best use of the the explanation of meta is Roblox. Like it's yeah. a kid's game, but they oh, really totally. nailed it. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
man, you are your, your conversations with your eight year old niece are so well, so wholesome. My for me, uh, personally speaking, Crazy Uncle John taught his uh, eight year old niece most recently how sports gambling worked. So I can say, hey, well, Abba, you, know, it's, it's, you know, it's five to, to one odds. You know, if I wager a hundred dollars on five to one odds, what do I get? And uh, you know, I told her uncle that I'm teaching her math. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, kind of math. So it doesn't really align with my like do good with the technology. So no, I, guess I know. It's clear of the gambling one. I'm just waiting for my brother-in-law to message me one day and be like, "Hava got sent to the principal because she's organizing a bookie amongst the like the eight-year-olds." And I'm like, "Oh boy, I've really yeah, you could really do like snail racing." I, I know mean, exactly. I yeah, like just that's like, kind of like a. That's what they're doing at recess. They're just like, you know, they're, they're, place your bets, everybody. Uncle John taught me how to do this. Oh, boy. So I'm just waiting for that call. So shout out to uh, my brother-in-law, Jonah, and my niece, Hava. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about before we went into mm-hmm. break here is a little bit unrelated to what we talked about, but is still, I mean, if anybody knows the answer to this, it's you. Because we did mention you guys routinely work with European clients, Australian, American mm-hmm. partners all over the place. I believe it's like over 25 international markets. Is that correct? We do. Yeah. So my question is simply this. Do you find yourself altering your approach based on where your client is located? Or is it pretty much just, you know what, what we do, you know, you know, maybe there's a couple of things like a language to overcome. But are you noticing like, when we're talking about gamification, or when we're talking about these uh, concepts that we talked about today, are certain, you know, groups of people like Americans or Australians or whatever, more, you know, is, is it is it more like pulling teeth for one population or another? Or do you find there's pretty much universal appeal? How interesting. I've never been asked that question before. <laughs> Look, we do tend to work primarily across Asia Pacific, um, the United mm-hmm. States and the United Kingdom. We do do, you know, bits and pieces for we've worked in all sorts of different regions. We've done some in Brazil and France. And but like if we talk about those three chunks as the, the majority um, there is definitely, we, uh, it's very exciting. So we're actually expanding to LA, which is, and we have expanded and we've opened an office there. We've been working there for about the last three years and we found mm-hmm. that our approach really resonated with our US-based clients. Um, so we're really investing in that region, which is really exciting. I'm not yeah. sure if I'm allowed to tell you that yet. I think it's being announced next week. Oh, no. <laughs> so, oh, well, my PR girl might chase me down later. <laughs> But anyway, we're there, so come yeah. and see us. I'm coming over actually on the 16th, so I'm kind of excited nice. to come and check out the team and you know get to meet some of the clients we've been working with. Um, but we found our approach, we, we have an incredibly empathetic human approach to um, building products, which mm-hmm. is quite different from a lot of other digital agencies. We're not just a brief it in, knock it out, close it off kind of company, which absolutely has its place but we love long-term partnerships because once you've built a product for us the beauty is in okay well now it's built what next how do you optimize it how does your paid media drive people to it what do we tweak and change we worked on a product recently where we changed the ux of the way people purchase the product once they landed and Mm -hmm. with that we got a 400 percent increase in return revenue on the paid media without changing a dime so it's not just once it's built, it's ha- what happens next. Because I think a lot of people build a product and they go, cool, done, tick. Why isn't it doing what I want it to do? And it's like whatever you think is going to work is going to change. So we tend to have these really beautiful long relationships with clients that kind of roll out about like three or four years because we can change and work with their businesses. And understanding them as a business and the objectives is super amazing and and it's also a part of like how we kind of achieve that 
Um, yeah. The differences, I would say, I would say that the American teams are often a little bit more aligned to the cultural communication style of Australians. Mm. We're pretty um, straight down the line, um, upfront, open and honest. And I think sometimes when we work with our United Kingdom clients, I try to mind my P's and Q's a little more. <laughs> but they're both yeah. really delightful to work with. Oh, I agree. It's like it's one of those things where I found, um, and and and, I, and I've I've had this kind of confirmed with others too that I've spoken with who uh, are, are from the UK or whatever the case may be. Um, I think that's one of the things, one of the benefits actually of us having experienced the pandemic together is that it's made us so much more comfortable, um, you know, speaking with each other on screens and things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. and that's how we're going to, that's how we're going to communicate, uh, you know, across continents right now is to basically mm. you and I doing what we're doing right now, or, you know, finding time, like, you know, I literally this morning, uh, had a meeting because, uh, I was accommodating somebody in India. And so like, you know, like it was one of those things where it's just, you know, I think that that has prior to the pandemic, maybe it may have been a little bit less so normal than it is now. Mm -hmm. And we're just like, kind of just, you know, it does, it, does, it doesn't really impact me anymore or just anything like that. Cause I'm just so used to this kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I think that kind of communication style has kind of been a little bit of a leveler in terms of how we all, you know, um, regard each other. So I actually think that, you know, while I certainly would not have preferred to endure the past two years, I do think that there are those kinds of benefits that are kind of hidden in uh, to having experienced what we've all experienced. Mm, I agree. Um, in a world full of digital disruption, um, the immense rapid evolution of processes online mm -hmm. really kind of allowed people to kind of put aside preconceived notions of you have to work nine to five and you need to be in the same office and I have to see you face to face for you to do right. a great job. We're very lucky because we were part of a, a kind of a bigger, wider group that we had access and exposure to international clients. But absolutely, the, the hard in a inverted you know no one wants a pandemic but mm -hmm. the outcome from that is we definitely feel people are more open and it's no longer mm, i'm not sure they're in australia it's who's the best person for the job totally. and i i i kind of think that's amazing and the yeah. fact that it we talked to brands and it's like well where are your customers and like global and i'm like well if you can't use a global agency then then what are you doing selling yeah globally? what are we doing here so i think it's i, I think it's been a really and it's been such a fabulous thing for people who want to be digital nomads. Mm -hmm. um, I think people suddenly are, it's okay. Like you don't have to come into the office. Yes, you can have kids. You can put out your washing at two o'clock and, <laughs> and, and that's okay. You can still do a great job. Like I, I work obviously extensively across from the UK, Australia and LA. Mm -hmm. So I tend to like get up really early and work late to hit the two ends. Right. So that means that I probably do have my biggest break in the middle of the day, which means I can go for a walk and put my washing out. Yeah, why not? And right? I think that's great. I think it's just going to become bigger and bigger. I was talking yeah. to a, a new digital nomad yesterday in Thailand who is asked to be paid by crypto, and I was like, "Oh, Ooh. we're here. We are in the future." All right, now we're now we're cooking with gas. Yeah. Um, awesome. So I have a couple other things that I wanted to talk about, but first, let's take a quick break. And we are back. 
All right, let's keep the ball rolling on this conversation here, Kat. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, one of the things, and this has come up already, that we've talked about today relies heavily on STEM education, right? And that mm-hmm. is also, listeners will know, an area that we've had discussions about in the past. And I want to address specifically the diversity or in many ways the lack thereof within the STEM field. Um, in your opinion, what are the biggest challenges that currently prevent us from seeing more diversity in STEM? And what are some of the things that we can do to overcome them? Good question, John. What do I think could be some of the biggest changes we could do to bring about greater diversity in technology? Mm-hmm. Look, for us, we try to make sure that we um, have hiring methodologies in place. Um, we don't just hire people who have past backgrounds in tech. So we often are seeking for tech curious people. Mm. So people who come from different industries like recruitment or data or I mean, really many industries, the skills are applicable to work in technology. You don't yeah. have to be a developer to have a job in a software company. I'm not a developer by any means. Um I think in general, though, it needs to come from the top. Leaders have to be comfortable in making some of those harder decisions and forcing the issue till the pendle, sort of till the, you know, till we swing the other way and there's a greater balance involved. Um, We often talk about science acumen, uh, specifically when trying to understand STEM and to get greater diversity in it. When you're told from a very young age that you play with dolls and a boy plays with a science Mm. kit, that's confounding those types again um, and really kind of putting across the wrong message. I think I'm really lucky though. I I mean, I work in a business that was founded by an incredibly strong female. Um, We have 90% female leaders. We try Mm. and maintain a 50% female ratio within our business. Um, We have ethics conversations we work with the ethics society where we actually test the ethics of our team to make sure that we have diversity amongst them um it's it's really important do i know how to fix it absolutely (laughs) not do i know how to try and nudge it in the right direction i hope so we're doing all we can but i do think what there is a what you think you're doing and what you can do often is quite far apart and we all have to kind of look at that every every year yeah, having that self-awareness certainly helps. But like, I, d- I definitely agree. And like, one of the things that you mentioned that I think is important for our listeners to note is that when I think of, you know, you know, lack of diversity in STEM, what I generally think about are white men, uh, you know, cis, straight, white men. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, there, as you say, that it's not just racial lines. It's not just gender lines that are, you know, potentially, you know, um, problematic right now in terms of the lack of diversity like i'm thinking of just like you know how do we as a society bring more stem accessibility to economically underserved Mm -hmm. communities and that could be completely i mean oftentimes that does dovetail with race and that's a whole other discussion Mm -hmm. um but like you know that is that is that is an aspect of this i think for us to think about and i also really liked your idea of like not needing to be a developer to be part of a successful software company. I think that's really important. Like sometimes like there's like the dark humor that you see online. It says entry level degree, like it's a job posting, like entry or like entry level position needs five years of experience and a graduate degree and an internship. And it pays $15 an hour, like apply now. It's just like, are you freaking kidding me? Like that, like the, 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 the level of, you know, 
background some people think they require for something is so out of touch with what is actually required. And I think it's just sometimes it's a way for us to kind of it's a defense mechanism against ourselves where we say, well, you know, as long as I make sure that I am, you know, pigeonholing this exact level of expertise that I'm bringing in, I can't help but to bring in good personnel. But instead, what you're doing is what you said is you're just bringing in more people who are basically clones of yourself. And if you yeah. have an entire team of clones of yourself, you are you're going to have some great groupthink, but you're certainly not going to have diversity of opinion, diversity of experience, um, like all of that stuff is so so important. And like you know, I've seen it firsthand, and I'm sure our listeners have seen it firsthand too. So, you know, yeah, we, it, we've taken yeah. and it's such a simple thing. So we, we've actually taken to now removing the number of years experience and the title level um, mm-hmm. in a role. So rather than saying we need a senior executive account or whatever, you know, all those fancy titles, right. which is like account management yeah. <laughs> and removing how many years you need and kind of saying what the job does. And it's like, just apply because, yeah. and now it's like, well, are they a great person? Are they going to be really good for the business? Are, are they fabulous at what they do? Okay, does that level fit within the business for this moment? Like we can often take, we're, we're always growing, so often we can take juniors or mids or seniors and it might not be the exact point that you want it, mm-hmm. but well, fine. If you're constantly, we also are a little bit different as an agency. We really try not to hire and fire with accounts, which is a really traditional agency model, which means you win a big account, you go and hire 10 people to do that job. And then when you lose that client, you fire those five people. We try to instead approach it more like as a holistic business and hire great people and the business can expand and stretch and grow with the people as we get them. So sometimes we have more hands on deck, which is kind of cool because then we get to do skunks works and make things mm-hmm. and learn stuff. <laughs> and then yeah. other times we're like, we don't have enough hands and everyone's working a rather long day. <laughs> it kind of gets to go both ways. But it yeah. also gives us the freedom to hire people and more of the right people and more mm-hmm. of the wrong people. So you can get a kind of real mix across the team. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that too, is also having the confidence in yourself that as long as I bring on somebody who is committed and who is, you know, has a degree of intelligence, I can train them up after I hire them to get them to be experts at whatever I need them to be experts at. I don't need, you know, and and we've seen this, you know, certainly, you know, across the board with folks, even, even at Winmo, and I'm sure our listeners have seen this too, is that like, you know, to a to a certain extent, like if I bring somebody into Winmo, do I care that they need to know on day one all of the you know advertising lingo and all of the you know the just like everything that I know? Do I need do I need everybody to know exactly you know what makes the difference between OMD or Digitas or Cara or something like that? I don't care. Like I, 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 I don't care. I feel confident enough that I and my team have built an apparatus together where we can train people up after they're hired so that, you know, yeah, this person that we brought in, does their skill set exactly fit what the role will be six months from now? No. But in those six months, I feel confident that I can bring them up to speed. And because they have all these other great personality benefits that I hired them for in the first place, that's an added bonus. So like being able to like really have that self-confidence is huge. It's it's also wildly like 
Like, if you think back to when you were 17, are you doing the job you thought you'd be doing? Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah, are you kidding me? I've got, like, my history degree gathering dust somewhere. And, um, yeah, if you you went back in time and told, you know – freshman year in college John Zaldonis okay so this is what this is how it's going to turn out I would have told you number one like uh what the hell and then number two I would have said you're crazy um yeah and- look I mean I know businesses need skills to be done absolutely yeah. and sometimes you really need those key yeah. pivotal roles which are held by great leaders who have like hands down got 15 years experience and can train everyone around them like I get that yeah. but there's also I think we the, you know, the, the standard channels of school and education put a lot of pressure on people to be a perfect picture of what a job is going to be cut out to be. I, mm-hmm. I certainly didn't think I was going to be here at the end of yeah. the day, no, you know, that's like... but I love it. And I think getting people in a business, we have a, a lot of people in our business who have started and changed roles. Mm-hmm. Like our intern was a graphic designer and now he's like our head UX designer. Uh, You know, we had a girl come in who was social media and paid media and now she's actually marketing and client success because working with them, it's like, you actually have a really natural talent for doing this. Do you like doing it? They're like, yeah, much better than my normal job. I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, why don't we do more of that and less of that? Like giving people the chance to kind of shift and mold and change and build their career with you. The, there's there's just benefits both sides. People yeah. get really passionate about where they work. They obviously, people do a better job if they like what they're doing for sure. For sure, yeah. And like everyone's changing and growing. Yeah, I know. It's great. Like I'm a perfect example of that. Like when I started, I uh, certainly at Winmo or List Partners, I was uh, on the product team and I was on the product team for a little while and then I joined the marketing team and then I was doing that for a while and now I'm on the client success team. And what that has been able to do is it's enabled me to familiarize myself with multiple parts of the business so that when I have my calls with our product guys, am I a developer? Do I know how to code and do I know like everything that they're talking about? No. Do I have an inkling about what they're talking about? Yeah, I kind of do. And the same thing with marketing. So like, you know, when, um, you know, shout out to Marilyn, uh, our head of marketing, like when she talks to me about all of these cadences that she's got going, um, I remember that because I used to back in the day, have my hands dirty with that kind of stuff. And so it's just allowed me to, it, it helps me better with my current role, frankly, that background. Um, and it also is just, you know, for, for a lot of folks, it's just good career building as well. Yeah, you're probably more sympathetic to their plight as well. Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And look, roles are changing dramatically. Like, I mean, STEM is critical for our future. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously, we have a, a ventures arm, which is based out of LA as well, called Miram Ventures. And I do a lot of the due diligence on the technical products that come yeah. through that space. Um, and look, 90% of them are digital based businesses. And it's just going to get more wonderful and weird and wacky like it's, it's no longer going to be like oh you know I, i'm building a product that sells an e-commerce tool it's like i've built an app that uses ar with you know crypto to sell and invest in side pockets and yeah. it's like that's amazing and it's not going to be i mean it could be anyone and i think that i mean job titles that like can you imagine telling your parents 20 years ago that there was an actual title and your oh, your job was so like funny. a social like, media manager yeah, or right? you know tiktok engagement i'm like Groovy. Yeah, it's like it's like, but you're getting paid, right? Okay, fine. You're getting yeah, paid. I don't you understand have, you anything. Have a job, you just right? said, but yeah. So and, what, the one of the sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, go no, go for it. 
I was going to say one of the boys in the office who's worked for us for a long time, he came in the other day and he was like thrilled. And I was like, what's going on? He's got a really traditional Vietnamese family. He's mm-hmm. like, I think my mom knows what I do now. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> He's a UX designer. We had and a he goes, they went and saw, they went and saw this movie. And he was, she was telling me about the movie and he's like, oh, I did the, because he had to do some, you know, customization on the, the assets that came mm-hmm. in for the posters. She was like, oh, you make, you did the, and she was calling her friends and she was like, oh my God, you know, my son made the movie poster. And he was like, not really mom, but cool, go <laughs> but for let's it. Let's go with it. And he's like, but we're going with it because my mom finally kind of understands oh. what I do. And I was like, okay, cool. So now you are a movie maker. And he's like, sort of, I give up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sure. Why not? Uh, I was like, okay, amazing. let's embrace it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, so you mentioned uh, the keywords there, uh, wacky and weird. So speaking of, let's talk about AR and VR, shall we? Um, shall, let's shall. <laughs> so, you know, obviously this is going to make up a gigantic part of the future of marketing. And so, you know, it's so funny, like longtime listeners of the Windmower podcast, if you're playing the drinking game, bottoms up, uh, because I mentioned something again, in this case, it's AR and VR. Um, in your opinion, what are some of the early successes we've seen in implementing AR slash VR in campaigns and what are going to be some of the biggest obstacles we're going to ultimately have to overcome? Oh, God, pre-warning, honestly. (laughs) Um, Some of the great ways, how are we seeing it? Look, I, I think it's fascinating and some people love it and some people hate it and some people don't like it at all. Yeah. We're really like, we've got such a fantastic art department and they really play around with like every AR tool under the sun. Um, sometimes I'm like, you guys need to go to bed, but they're having too much fun, you know, playing with Adobe or Snapchat yeah. or, you know, TikTok. And we're really lucky that we're a Snapchat partner. So we get to make a lot of things for other people. And a lot of them are smaller filters or just little experiences to bring things to life. Like we made the colossal um, woolly mammoth so you could see what, a you know, if they managed to bring back a woolly mammoth yeah. with, with, you know, what it would look like in your backyard, which is kind of fun. And, you know, how big is a skeleton and what does their trunks do? And, I mean, those kind of small educational pieces of AR are really fun and engaging to do and also educational and people get to participate with products in a greater way. Yeah. Um, some of the bigger AR campaigns that we've done are things for like, just water where we made like a four-part series where people could understand the sustainable and ethical um, values of the brand and what they actually did to bring their water to life Mm. there they had a real education challenge where people were not really understanding the difference of their product how they build the product how they ship it where it comes from and creating small bespoke AR experiences that people participated with like a rolling chapter like a story really allowed them to bring that to life on both their products in their social media across their paid media and on their website like that's a a unique way to tell a story there's been some beautiful examples of ar that i've seen recently um especially in web-based um products where people are using canvas to bring to life you know their artwork or um draw people down timelines so that Mm. they can interact with products because as well if if you are engaged in a product in a higher fashion you'll spend longer dwelling on it and you will absorb the information um that's part of why people want to use it yeah i mean there was was the great example of gucci doing their partnership with roblox in the in in the (laughs) lockdown and selling an ar handbag which i think in the end actually sold more than the real product so there's some pretty like brave partnerships to do and they've been really successful yeah what are some of the challenges? 
Adoption will be hard because of the technology required to participate with it in a fully immersive fashion. Um, But obviously we're seeing people leverage the smaller, you know, on phone pieces as Mm -hmm. much as they possibly can, which is great to see. I think when we kind of get to that point where meta is more accessible for more people, I think the conversation will not be around what's the problem with AR, but the conversation will shift to how is my data being used and how am I participating with AR and then how is it going to influence my in-world life? I think that's more of where the conversation will go. Yeah, and I think that's that's a conversation that we are still not prepared uh, to tackle perfectly yet, Um, because like frankly, like you know, I think that we as a society really have not yet quite reckoned with you know what modern privacy looks like, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, And but I think your other your other point is important as well. Is I think sometimes we kind of get too far ahead of ourselves and we forget that um, entry, like just the barrier to entry. Uh, just having having the technological capacity and the broad uh, availability of that tech uh, is still not at all where it needs to be. Like you know, it's funny because like I, you know, I was a late adopter of like an iPhone or whatever. I was one of those holdouts with a flip phone, um, but that wasn't terribly long ago either, right? We kind of no. forget that. Um, we're, we're, and I, we're moving really quickly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's like, it, yeah, it's probably going to become readily available very soon, but we also have to make sure that we don't put the cart before the horse uh, still. And then the other thing that I think it's funny because it's, um, I, I, I remember, um, it, it, so basically the point I'm about to make here is it needs to look good too. And like, I think sometimes people just get caught up with that. Do you, do, I don't know if you were watching, um, did you see the uh, international feed where they were doing the world cup draw this year for the, for the, for the, for the men's world cup? I didn't. I'll have to look it up. So they did this like intro thing and it was meant to be like, you know, VR and it was like, it, but it just, it didn't look great. And I was oh, just like, Oh, it looked terrible. Yeah. I just thought you're <laughs> FIFA. You're, you're FIFA. You have more money than God. Like, what are you doing putting out an inferior looking product like this? Um, and so like, you know, I just thought that that was like something that like, it kind of like took me out of it really. It was just like, what am I watching here? Yeah. It's a so, real balancing act. Uh, yeah. And as well, that like debate of make it look good. We've had clients who have come to us and said, we want to make an AR experience. And a lot of it depends on you have to make responsible decisions when you start around the platform that you use, because the different platforms come with limitations of size and how much like memory it has. And that really impacts the end design result. So we spend a lot of time debating where it's actually going to you know, accessibility and the amount of people, you know, if I do it through Snapchat, how many people will see it? But if I do it mm. through Unity, how much better is it going to be? We really yeah. have that debate up front because, you, like you said, design matters more than ever and you can kind of end up with a subpar looking product. And yep. people are unforgiving <laughs> when oh. it gets to that. Yeah. Like it's, but we've it's... seen some amazing experiences. We work with the Heart Foundation and we were looking at AR experiences around um, training doctors to see and participate with AR hearts. I mean, mm. you've had some young people who have, well, there's a whole generation of people who were, who spent and finished their kind of end of year school at home. So yeah. they don't have the social interaction or the on-hand knowledge that others do. I was speaking to a young girl who's been training to be is it an X? What is it? When is it? What's it called when you do X-rays for a living? Oh, um, I don't know the name of that kind of doctor, but the I know exactly term what you mean. For doing X-rays for a living, yeah. 
which she hadn't. She's about to. She's about to finish her course, but she hasn't used the machine yet <laughs> because she hasn't been able to get into the university. And it's like right. this is a perfect place where augmented reality can help people understand things and can help them participate with products to get a feeling of what that might be like. There's a beautiful experience that was created by the Dementia Foundation or Dementia Association, which gave people the ability to walk through a house before making changes for someone with dementia and for someone after. And it's things such as making, um, you know, don't put carpet and wallpaper to the edge because the bleeding of the pattern makes it difficult for them to to disseminate between floor and wall. And, you know, make sure light switches are in really obvious places and don't, don't color them in. Mm-hmm. those kind of experiences can affect your real world life and giving people the ability to, I know I'm a really visual person. I'm a visual learner. So seeing things and playing with them and touching them, I'm like, Oh, I get it yep. much so more than if, you know, reading a piece of paper that says do this in your house. Yeah, absolutely. Just- and I mean, that's a perfect example also of using this tech for good uh, because you know, I mean, talk about ethics and like the uh, a ethically questionable behaviors. You could get into trouble really quickly uh, using AR and VR uh, if you're not careful about the ethics of what you're doing. Definitely. I mean, look, we have um, we've got our designers now go through um, trauma driven design training. Um, mm-hmm. They have accessibility protocols that they have to hit. Uh, look, it, it just gets more and more and more demanding to be in that space. Yeah. I mean, offering avatars, um, we offered avatars for a product that we made for the Autism CRC and one, the, the actual group who was using the product. So people who identify as autistic, they actually had their own demands of what they wanted to see from an avatar. But then also we had to take into account that there, we really need to make enough avatars that pe- make people feel like that they have an option that connects with them. Yep. Um, you, you can't, like, don't be generic. If there's, if you're going to offer a black and a white avatar, just don't do it at all because that is not, that's not offering equality across no. it. And you're you know, then buying in and feeding into the, you know, the whole thing about diversity. It's like you you haven't been diversed. Right. So I think sometimes it's like, if you can't do it well, sometimes best not to do it. Sometimes the best, sometimes the best decisions are the ones that you don't make. Uh, That is certainly true. Um, So I know we've talked a lot about some of the projects that you have uh, been a part of. And frankly, I've loved hearing about this and learning this from you today. Is there any, you know, future work? You don't have to, you know, be too specific. You don't have to name names if you don't want to. But are there any particular future projects that are on the horizon that you are particularly looking forward to? And if so, why? What about them uh, makes them so appealing for you? Oh, I get excited at the start of every new project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we have a new project that we're just starting at the moment, which is around, um, which is essentially we have a, a female entrepreneur who is building out a HR platform for small to medium-sized businesses. Um, She has noticed coming from that industry herself that often HR is something that is not um, touched on by businesses. If you're, you know, you own three hair salons, which is Mm -hmm. often a lot of smaller businesses, you aren't big enough to have a HR person. And it's usually the boss and their, you know, operations person and feedback and career growth and progression is often neglected in those spaces. Oh, absolutely. And she's like, we don't, I don't want to do a big, you know, nine box mapping of a per person and sit down and do an annual review. And she's like, we just need 
really clear, basic, empathy-driven, um, short-form contextual conversations between people at the point that it occurs so they mm-hmm. can see where there's learning and behavior that they need to change. So we're building out a SaaS-based product for her. Um, I'm really excited about that because I think it is really challenging the notion of traditional HR feedback. Yeah. I think that will be super exciting to play with. Um and we have a product that we are scoping out for the States at the moment. And I won't say who it's for because I don't think I'm allowed to and I will get in trouble from yeah, my wonderful Eskia, our director in LA. Oh, yeah. She's she's fabulous. If anyone can find her, shout out to her. Go go hunt her down. She's a woman, a formidable woman to be around in a business. She is fantastic. She is. She is a, a fantastic. But we are working on a really large scale meta product that brings together art, automotive, and I can't say the last bit because we'll give it away. Fair enough. But let's say it's that. Yeah. I mean, even even without that, like getting back to what you were talking about, um, just in terms of human resources, my entire professional career has been in startups or small to medium-sized businesses. And I so know exactly where you're coming from. Like, I remember early on in my career where we had like, you know, I think it was the company size was like, I don't know, maybe like, 10 people are there or thereabouts. And like the company owner was just like, shoot, it's about time that uh, I had some kind of just, you know, um, workplace sexual harassment training or something that like everybody should go mm-hmm. through. Um, and the, 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 the poor consultant that he brought in was so over his head and just like had this, he almost, it wasn't like a VHS tape, but it felt like he plugged in a VHS tape oh. and like, all right, now watch this. <laughs> and it was just so like, we, like, I remember me and my coworkers were like looking at each other and we're like, are you serious with this stuff right now? Are you really, are you really serious with this? And it was just, you know, I mean, look, it's, you know, it's small businesses. They, as you say, they're not, HR is not something that they are really, you know, Putting first and foremost, and that can be have a real detriment to the people who um, who work there. And you know, that, and it's one of the nice things. Shout out to uh, Barrett, our human resources person here at Winmo. Um, like, just an absolute gem of a person. Like, uh, Barrett has made my life so much easier on so many uh, occasions. And it is notable because the work she does is fantastic. It's also notable because by far she is the best human resources person I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Because yeah, like it's just, it's sometimes it can, when it, when HR goes bad, that is like one of the worst things to have bad in your company. It just, it drags everything else down. So that, that sounds like a really exciting project. I'm, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I think it will be, it will be pretty exciting to see it come to life. Yeah. Awesome. So hopefully it'll take a while to build because it is, it's going to be a, um, you know, month to month payment. It's got like a, you know, a website and an admin portal and apps for the users and dashboards. So there's lots of different pieces to bring yeah. together and interop- interoperability is one of my favorite things to address when we're building those products, but yeah. it should be pretty exciting when it comes together. Awesome. Well, you know, Kat, I want to thank you one more time for taking the time to speak with me today. I have learned a ton. I'm sure our listeners have as well. If you are interested and out there, dear listener, in working with Kat, can you give our audience uh, uh, an easy way to reach out? Of course. Thank you so much for having me, John. It was really oh, lovely yeah. to chat and, and, you know, just, you know, bounce around on different topics. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, if anyone would like to give us a call, we love talking to people. Um, send us an email at info at theprojectfactory.com. Um, we are delighted to talk to everyone, whether you would like to just, you know, shoot the health-related breeze or talk about gamification or, you know, if you'd like a job in technology and you're tech curious, feel free. We are hiring at the moment. There we go. Awesome. Well, 
Cat Robinson. Thank you so much for joining us today. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. We will be back to talk to you all very soon.